Good morning, my dear. I love you today. I've said it before, I know. But even so, I love you today. The tree in the And welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 11th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. So are we going to get a snowstorm tonight? Is this uh, what they're uh, saying? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Something's it heading be. to us. Now, whether it's going to be rain or snow, we don't know. But, uh, but oh, is, the, is, is this the one from the Midwest? There's something yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It oh, all yeah. comes from the Midwest. It yeah. all comes <laughs> from there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, it's coming on a... Uh, you know, Sunday evening, Monday, um, mm-hmm. but you know, tomorrow Monday, there's an awful lot of special events going on, Peter. Right? Yes, indeed. You're Especially just, your own thing, which we're we're all be. You're going to be at your own thing. I'll be over at I the am. chess. I'm going to the yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The Actors Fund chess. Yeah. Uh, what do they call the Actors Fund and the Entertainment Group or Entertainment Entertainment Community Fund? And uh, they did not run that name by me. That's a terrible, terrible name for a great cause. Yes, yes. (laughs) So I understand why they changed it from the Actors Fund to the Entertainment, because it wasn't just for actors. Right. But uh, Entertainment Community Fund doesn't roll off the tongue quite the same. So I will also be at um, your own thing. But that's great that you got a ticket for chess, uh, James. You'll have to report to us. Yeah, Matt Tamanetti's going as well. And... uh, my wife is going. I'm I'm lucky to be going because uh, I almost didn't get to go. My wife was like, "If we only get a single ticket, then uh, you can't go." Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Darren, Chris, you know, it's all about Darren, Chris. I see. Tony, well, Jan- I, I yeah. hope that. Um, yeah, I mean, tomorrow is also the scheduled opening of Merrily We Roll Along, so I mm-hmm. hope this storm doesn't. Oh yeah, put the yeah, kibosh yeah. on any of this. I guarantee you that if there's eight inches of snow, that there'll still be a cancellation line outside the theater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, that's very true. It's, uh, um, the um, Merrily tickets are very hard to get. People are begging for them all over the place. So Linda's brother is. waited in line for three hours hoping for a cancellation and did not get one. No. Three hours from three o'clock till six o'clock. No, oh, wasn't allowed yeah. in. So. <laughs> Yeah, 
And uh, just a few months ago, I was talking about how K-pop was going to be a hard ticket to get. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. As we heard this week uh, from uh, two different shows, they're throwing in the towel pretty early with K-pop and Ain't No Mo. Uh, posting closing notices incredibly fast, uh, faster than most of us expected. Uh, so what do you guys think about this? Well, at the risk of being glib, um, you were right. Tickets will be hard to get for K-pop. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but nevertheless, it is astonishing to me that um, they gave up so easily. It seems to me now, things are very different from when um, I started paying attention to theater um, because so many people, um, producers, build in uh, in the budget losing weeks that right. they're going to you know they're going to do that um that's why we have so few four performance flops anymore i mean there used to be so many shows that open on thursday and closed on saturday and that was the end of it but now producers say we're going to over budget the show so that if we have losing weeks we can keep on going and that way it might catch on and more to the point and i think this is very significant that when a show keeps running people say oh it must be good so um, that's why they do that. They keep it alive uh, because the public doesn't really know if there are two people in the audience or if it's packed mm. in uh, standing room, that there are, yeah, uh, uh, every seat is filled and every standing room uh, position is filled. Nobody knows. So it's amazing to me that these two shows um, didn't have, apparently didn't have that built in the budget, especially with K-pop, which, you know, I keep on hearing a global phenomenon. Well, mm. if it's a global phenomenon, why isn't the globe coming to the circle in the square? It makes no sense to me at all. Well, I, you know, I just looked up the two lead producers of k-pop the ones with the names at the top are tim forbes and joey parnes and tim forbes it seems to be his first broadway show but joey parnes has dozens you bet dozens of credits so i'm surprised for that reason yes i agree and also i mean can you imagine um since they are closing so quickly and obviously there's there's not something ready to go into the theater right away no um that that can only give you an idea of how incredibly dire the ticket sales must have been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Did you guys see the article in the LA times, uh, the interviews with the creators and the producers uh, about Mm K-pop. So I'm going to put that in the show notes, but wow, they threw the marketing team under the bus. Oh, they did. They themselves did. Yeah. They themselves. Wow. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Mm. And I was like, wow. They, well, uh, which apparently. I, I, I agree with, but my goodness, the marketing is something is discussed in every single production meeting that they have for months on end. Right. And now, now they're throwing them under the bus. Under well, the yeah, double decker bus. Yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah, you mentioned last week the marketing, James, because I had, I had this whole theory um, ready <laughs> when, when I heard that the show was in trouble as to why. And I, as I, I even said last week, that I thought, well, I, I think it's mainly because there are actual, you know, K pop groups obviously yeah. still out. And when people can see the real thing, they why would they want to see it on Broadway, which is a different situation from MJ or uh you know, the Neil Diamond show, uh, because those people are well, one is dead and then the other one's no longer performing. But I said that before I knew, um, I before I realized that an actual K-pop star is in K-pop, uh, and it's Luna. Now maybe one person isn't enough to get 
the crowds in? Uh, maybe that's part of the reason. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, this, rem- this reminds me of something Joan Rivers once said to me when she was doing the Sally Marr play at <laughs> one, the Broadway's mm-hmm. smallest theater. Yeah. I mean, don't forget that, too. She said, I don't understand it. I sell out in Las Vegas and I can't fill 500 seats here. I, it made no sense to her whatsoever. And I understand that. I mean, you would think that there would be a built-in audience for Joan Rivers, who is very famous. Um, so uh, what happened? Yeah, same thing here. Where's that built-in audience that uh, got excited? And when I saw the show um, at ART, um, A period RT period T, yeah. not the place in Cambridge, the one on 53rd Street, uh, the audience seemed to have a very good time. And I would think that they would, um, the word of mouth would have spread over the period of time that it took to get there. So I'm very, very surprised because K-pop is really an idiom. Um, it's not just a word, it's an idiom. People mm. know it and it makes no sense to me at all. Well, so, I just saw it last night, as I mentioned, and um, I am I did not see it at the at Art uh-huh. New York or whatever that place is called. Um, but I understand everyone is talking about one major difference is that apparently there it was more immersive. You followed. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's you, true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But but my question is, um, what about the book? <laughs> uh, because, you know, yeah, I mean, did that yeah. really did, did that immersiveness mm-hmm. um, uh, did that counterbalance the, the book? The, the friend I brought last night turned to me at one point and says, can you find a book anywhere anywhere? Yeah. I could um, find a book all over the place, but it was the, a very trite book. Well, yeah, it was. It, it was exactly. It was like tropes from. Um, uh, yep. From everything from Forty Second Street, Street to, yeah, 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 <laughs> to to uh, lots of other backstage, uh, sure, you know, sure. showbiz yeah. movies yeah. and 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 fil- and uh, love versus shows. career. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but also this is this the uh, um another thing that struck me is even in a show like Mamma Mia, which I. I Sure, sure. I've made my hatred of that very clear, <laughs> but they do at least make the attempt to write the book around the songs in such a way that the songs comment on the characters and the plot. But here, um, it seemed like not at all. Uh, it seemed like all of the songs were just diegetic. Uh, well, I, she did much. have. You know, Mamma Mia was not about performers. And this is really about performers, but she had that. She had a couple of, uh, yeah, maybe uh, of songs yeah. that, you know, uh, but certainly I understand your point that it was not really, not really the songs didn't further the story as, but as, a lot of people don't care about that anymore. They just yeah. want to hear the song. So as right. K pot delivered what it was supposed to deliver. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> it true. may not have pleased many of us who want the action moved forward with the songs and traditional musical comedy uh, situations in the best sense of that word, because you might say, wait a minute, you just said that you know, it was like 42nd Street. Yeah, <laughs> But there, yeah. there is a way around that to really make it uh, seem fresh and new. And I'm told that some like it hot is doing that very well. We'll see. We'll see. But the, the real bottom line of all this is that people was, seem to have a wonderful time hearing those songs. That's what they came for. It, it's it's reverse. I may have said this before. It's a reverse of what you hear about in Funny Thing uh, happened on the way to the forum, that the songs are respites from the comedy. Well, here, mm-hmm. you know, the, the book was respites from the songs. <laughs> so um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, it, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know, but I would think that maybe uh, those people, uh, maybe it's true what you said, that they don't care about the book except that 
they do care about it if they're going to see it as a Broadway musical. Maybe maybe then they do expect it. Uh, or I don't maybe think not. they do. I don't think they do. I, I'm not saying I'm right about this. I just don't think that they do. Right. Well, I, I, I guess I could say that I expected it, but yeah, obviously yeah, I'm not. You. I'm not the target about audience, audience yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's. Um... It's a term we're using more and more, aren't we? Uh, Michael? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not the target audience. <laughs> Weekly, <right>. daily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't the only bad news that we heard uh, this week. We also had our friends up the Metropolitan Opera. Their website oh. got hacked mm. and mm. basically shut down the operation. All their ticketing and everything was locked up to a, a ransomware cyber attack. Uh, and it, uh, yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I guess I, I was the one who let you know about that, yeah. right? And yeah, I only happened correct. to find out because I just went. I just went onto the website to check a date or something, and it got this message. Uh, you know, this horrible attack message. Uh, you know that we we are completely down and uh, and just that they were. I guess dealing just by phone. Um, you know, for the time being. Uh, and, and then I, you know, my conspiracy theories, um, the first thing that leapt to my mind is, of course, it could have just been malicious. And uh, there's any number of reasons why people, why someone could have attacked them, uh, maybe just out of, you know, random maliciousness. But, mm-hmm. but there has been all of that stuff recently with the Met and Russia, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. uh, barring, uh, artists who have been favorable to Putin, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe it had something mm-hmm. to do with that. Yeah. I mean, that it's when Michael brought that point up to me, I was like, oh, my goodness, here we are getting, you know, the arts in New York City pulled into geopolitical conflict. Mm. Uh, but it seems like a, it's feasible. Why would you go after the Metropolitan Opera? It's certainly not. It's a minor prestigious target. It's certainly not a high value target. Uh, it's not like going after, you right. know, uh, any other major, you know, Metropolitan Opera maybe has, you know, 50 million in sales a year. It, it's not, it's, it's minor compared to, you know, all the other millions of, <laughs> of corporations out there with much, much more valuable things. So, Maybe it's, some crazed opera fan doesn't like the <laughs> the way the Met is being run, and right, and, yeah. and all and it also happens to be a, a computer whiz, and and just yeah. you know just went crazy. Who knows? Yeah, uh, we also saw that Ain't No Mo is closing, and Michael Paulson in the Times uh, 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 talked about that as well. It we're going to review Ain't No Mo, and Michael's going to talk about K-pop in a minute, but. Uh, uh, on the heels of these two quick closings, we had an announcement that Fat Ham was coming to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I was. I, I thought that I, was inevitable. I mean, you, you went to people's surprise. I mean, yeah, to spur yeah. people to say, okay, let's do it. Because um, right. there are people who want to see Pulitzer Prize winning plays. I'm not saying that there's an enormous audience for it, but, <clears throat> but I wonder if um, they're. Um, Nervous as a result of ain't no more. Yeah, uh, I, that's what I was. That's your point. Yeah, that was my point. Is like, okay, so a strange loop is a Pulitzer Prize winning. That's right. Play as well. Mm-hmm. That's going to lose its. It's about to lose its shirt in yep. insofar as investment yep. goes. Yes. And now, uh, 
K-pop and Ain't No More are closing in to announce Fat Ham. I, I just and thought, I think but, the announcement came right after uh, yeah. the the all of the K-pop stuff yeah. started to come out. As yeah, as yeah, to, yeah. So, so I mean, uh, Fat Ham was announced on the fifth of December, so uh, six days ago on Monday, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and we had the, uh, you know, I, I had word had about a week ahead of time that Fat Ham was going to announce uh, on Monday morning, so mm-hmm. uh, I knew that they they knew this. And then they went and then heard the bad news about the other things and mm. still announced. Mm, right. So, yes. Uh, they were very clear in the press release that it is a limited run on Broadway uh, and that they, uh, you know, are, they're bringing it to Broadway. I don't think they're bringing it to Broadway for prestige. I think they're bringing it to Broadway so that they can uh, capitalize on subsidiary rights again it's going to play in regions and around the world and things like that and for what Uh, it's worth it's announced for a a, about a five-month run april 12th uh through august 6th at the american airlines theater and people are already bitching about that uh yeah it's saying that it's it's the wrong theater yeah (laughs) it's not a roundabout production they rented the, the rented the american airlines theater uh it's not a roundabout production, so right. uh, it seems to be a commercial production in conjunction with the public theater. Um, but you know, let's see. Uh, so many people are talking about the the commercial environment on Broadway has so changed, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it seems like a broken record. We seem to talk about that every year that it, mm-hmm. the commercial environment is changing. There's no advanced sales for anything mm-hmm. except for mm-hmm. huge hits. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then the very popular shows tickets are astronomically priced mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. tickets, I think, uh, was it, uh, Tony Janicki in our chat room said the K-pop K-pop was losing three hundred thousand a week. The average ticket price last week was thirty-two dollars. Wow. So thirty-two dollars. Yeah, yeah, a friend of mine got one for thirty-eight dollars on a Saturday night, and it yeah. was row AA. Yeah. So, so a friend, the friend that I went to K-pop with, said something really funny last night. We were talking about the fact that, um, you know, with these really unfortunate, very fast closings, there has been some. Uh, complaints from various people that it has to do with partly with racism or uh, exclusivity and uh, other things like that. And there's uh, all these people making pronouncements and comments that Broadway needs to change, quote unquote. Mm. And my friend said, you do realize that Broadway is not a guy behind a desk, right? Yeah. It's, exactly. it's it's a very complex setup, and it basically, you know, when it, you come right down to it, it all comes down to supply and demand, and and lots of other myriad yeah. factors. Uh, so it's so it's just sometimes it seems like people have the impression that a couple of people are like are, are running the yeah. show, and the, that the, they can the deep, just yeah. the deep state of Broadway. Yeah, (laughs) Broadway's deep state. So let's move into our review section. Michael, you got a chance to see uh, K-pop. You saw it last night, was it? Yes, yes. So uh, tell us what your thoughts on K-pop were. Well, first of all, I am very grateful that the um, 
the press uh, agents uh, scheduled me in because I was supposed to go next week, which was after the closing. And mm. obviously, they didn't have much time to get me in, uh, but I really appreciated that they did. And I, I, I almost wanted to go to the final performance because I thought that would be really extraordinary. Uh, but I couldn't uh, go today because I have something else to do. So I went last night, but it was almost, it almost seemed like the final performance. There were curtain speeches at the end and lots of the cast were crying and the audience was cheering and it was a very, very extraordinary experience. I, I do wish for me, uh, you know, I can only judge by what I respond to. And to me, uh, there was, there basically was no book or as Peter said, it's not that there was no book in terms of quantity uh, because there was, uh, but it just was so cliched and, and, and quite boring to me uh, and didn't have anything to do with, well, the songs didn't have anything to do with the book, and uh, that would have helped me to keep my interest. Um, I do like the songs in themselves, and and um, it's worth noting the songs, the music and lyrics by Max Vernon, who wrote that other show, um, another show that I really enjoyed called The the View from Upstairs uh, that played off-Broadway. Uh, and that also was not a success, but I, I really like that score, and I have the the CD of it. And I, and I, I still listen to it. So I think Max Vernon has a tremendous amount of talent. It's just, um, had not, not great luck thus far. Um, the, the talent, speaking of talent, the, the onstage talent in K-pop is just through the roof. Uh, that probably goes without saying, um, I really do enjoy seeing that incredibly tight precision choreography performed so well. And um, I didn't, I, uh, two more positive things to say. I, I did not feel that the show was over amplified and I feared it would be. Uh, I've seen f and heard far louder shows um, that have, you know, been so loud that I, that they really worked against my enjoyment, but I didn't think that was here. And I also didn't think, uh, you know, there was this, remark uh th this comment that jesse green made in um his review in the times that the the lighting was squint inducing but i actually didn't feel that either uh until uh, until the until the very last number because at that point then they had the lights that were kind of like um uh, feeling yeah. yeah exactly uh but not until then not not for a moment uh so maybe he that's what he was referring to maybe he was referring to the last number uh but anyway that that wasn't a problem for me. I think that the, the, um, they obviously spent, it's really sad. They spent so much money on it, uh, on this, the, the video screens and projections and the, and the lighting and the sound and, and the way the whole theater is kind of, uh, made into a, you know, an environmental experience pretty much. Uh, I, um, so I, I'm, I'm very, very sad that this turned out the way it did because i do think this show has a lot going for it and to me um although i don't i recognize that this is probably not what actually did it in uh but to me uh the book just did not work so yeah i mean i i think that nearly all the reviews that i've i've read or heard about uh were mostly centered on the the book falling short mm -hmm. uh which is uh something that really 
I think led to bad reviews <laughs> and bad reviews led to, you know, not strong word of mouth and there's your there's the ball game. So there's K pop at Circle and Square. They are hoping and planning to um bring it out on the road. Uh they're hoping to restage it in different ways uh around the world. Um so who knows if this is the end who of K pop, but yeah. but certainly uh I hope this is not the last time that uh these very talented people got together. I mean, you look at uh we're gonna talk about next week, we're gonna talk about Merrily We Roll Along, uh, because Merrily opens up tomorrow. So we're not gonna talk about it today. But the, those those people involved in the Merrily, they they got panned and shut down very quickly and mm-hmm. i think yeah. they did okay in the end <laughs> you know <laughs> by the way let me quickly correct myself uh, not all of the music and lyrics in k-pop are by max vernon uh actually he's built second to helen park yeah. and oh, the, that's uh, right yeah yes and the name of the uh the author of the book is jason kim and it says mm-hmm. originally conceived by woodshed collective and jason kim so um who you know you know i mean this would also be well it might make an interesting movie or tv movie but we'll see okay uh so the three of us got over to uh where's ain't no mo at the blasco is it the blasco and we got over to the blasco to see ain't no mo so peter wants you to start on this um, this is a valuable piece, but I do feel it's preaching to the converted. Uh, it does deal with the fact that blacks have had a tough time of it. And um, the, the very final scene is most interesting in showing us that even if blacks wanted to leave the country, they really shouldn't leave the country because they could run into worse uh, situations elsewhere. But staying here means they're going to run into problems. That's what I took from the very last scene. Mm-hmm. Expertly, expertly acted an amazingly ornate production with multiple sets. You, you know, we're so used to going to a play and when the curtain goes up, that set is what we're going to see all night. That's not the case here. I fully expected it was going to be, but it certainly isn't. So a very ornate production and the actors are excellent in it. However, I really do believe that um, the audience that comes to Ain't No More already believes what we're being told in the play that indeed um, we should have much more tolerance and uh, it's, it's, really disgusting the way so many things have happened to these poor oppressed people um, throughout history. It would really be valuable in places where people don't quite feel that way. But of course, if it went to those places and got produced, nobody would go to see it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so it's a, it's a vicious, vicious circle. Yeah. But, um, but I really do feel there's quality work here and there's much imagination. I mean, even that last scene that I'm being purposely vague about, um, it really is, is very cleverly designed to, um, exhibit, to get that feeling from, uh, that I just expressed, but in a very creative way, a very creative way. So, um, my hat's off to everybody involved with it. But, um, this, to be perfectly frank, is another example of how it's very, very hard for black shows to succeed on Broadway. Um, very few of them run very long. And, um, certainly last season proved that, uh, with Passover, um, Strange Loop, Chicken and Biscuits. Um, yeah. So, 
Uh, a lot of people say they just uh, producers do not know how to tap that audience. And I don't know if that's true. I suspect my my assumption would be that uh, ticket prices are just too high for everybody. Hmm. And um, it's going to be very hard to get people. As I may have said this before, I can't imagine I haven't. Every now and then people will say to me, I bought cheap seats for whatever. And I say, you did not buy cheap seats. <laughs> what, you bought, what you had were discount tickets. They were not cheap seats. There are no cheap seats. So... <laughs> So, you know, uh, that's uh, so maybe that's the reason. But whatever the case may be, um, there were a lot of uh, people uh, in the audience going right on. And I mean, uh, behind me, there was um, I don't know his name. I've even been on his public access show, but I don't know who he um, I didn't realize he was behind me. But afterwards, I turned around uh, when I was leaving the show. I didn't. um and what happened, um, I was surprised to see that it was he, um, because um, I didn't expect him to be so vocal about this. But there was a lot of vocal ride-ons and yeah, man, and all that kind of stuff from a lot of white people showing that they really do believe what the show has to say, but they believed it before they walked in the theater. Mm. All right. So, Michael, what did you think? Well, I agree with all of that. But aside from the preaching to the choir thing, um, I was surprised because I, I had a general idea of what the show was about, the play was about before I went, or at least I thought I did. You know, this basic concept of um, blacks being uh, given tickets, uh, plane tickets back to so they can all move back to Africa, you know, and, and uh, leave this country. Um, but I expected a, um, a narrative, uh, a th- uh, you know, a through line. Uh, where this was really more a series of vignettes. So that really surprised me. And and especially because it seemed to me that a few of the vignettes really didn't even have anything to do with that particular concept and idea uh, subject. Um, so that was a big surprise to me. I, I, I uh, hated the first scene only because it was so loud that I felt like like my ears were bleeding. Uh, I I I've been on record of as to how much I hate that in the past, and I just said that that was one of the things I appreciated about K-pop that it wasn't that loud. Um, so that I mean, really, this the the this it's set in a church. This scene, and and there's a preacher character, and he was screaming into the microphone, and his voice was being distorted, and this lasted for like 15 or 20 minutes, and I just wanted to leave. But thankfully, uh, that was the only scene that was like that. And then after that, I enjoyed um, a lot of the other individual vignettes. Uh, I also um, uh, then, I, I, as I said, I thought that a lot of it seemed to be beside the point and i didn't quite get it uh i i i was very amused by the character of peaches um who is played by jordan e cooper who wrote the play uh uh and i guess you i guess you would cl- call it a drag role uh, mm-hmm. and peaches is a what is what is the word for those people who work behind the counters in air in airports uh, customer service agents or yeah yeah i mean the what she, that's who she is um, the gate, uh, she was at the gate she was a gate agent yeah a, a gate agent thank you yeah. yeah uh i mean i thought it was a great character and he played it brilliantly and i i think that uh a, a lot of the um enjoyment that i found in this show was due to that but then also at the end um a, a lot of it I, I found very ineffective but towards the end there were uh, two scenes that I found very moving. Uh, I, the, the final scene, which P- Peter just 
remarked about, and, and and I too, I'm not going to say any more about it because I wouldn't want to spoil it, but also the penultimate scene, which was about um, uh, some women who are in prison and who are now being sprung because like every other black person, they're going to be going back to Africa. I, th- I thought that was in a, a very, very moving scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, there were a lot of moments in it that, really moved me and affected me, but I was surprised that uh, it came across to me as a series of vignettes rather than a play with a strong through line. Hmm. Uh, You said it better than I was thinking, Michael. I'm right exactly on track with you. I kept on thinking that this was sort of like uh, a, a more serious Saturday Night Live where parts of it were hysterically funny and some parts of it were like just hit you in the face with a baseball bat. So yeah, that yeah. the the clinic scene, the clinic scene was so heartbreaking. Uh wow. Uh, again, we have something that uh is very different than what we normally see on Broadway. And um when you have those type of things and they don't succeed financially I feel like everybody's like Broadway's racist, but as you pointed out, Michael, there's no one person, no man behind the curtain that's running Broadway. Right. It's, it's a, it's a Broadway as a collective. Uh, and, you know, just as the, we talked about last week that the marketing failed in K-pop. I feel like the marketing failed in eight, failed in eight no mo as well. That, uh, that I, you know, I had to reread, I had to reread the, the press blurb um, before I got to the theater. My my daughter said, what are we seeing? And I'm like, mm-hmm. ain't no mo." And she said, what is it about? And I said, you, you, you know, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I had to reread it. And when I reread the press blurb, I still didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> And so, Some and the, people have compared it to uh, the Colored Museum. Museum, very much. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I did not see, but uh, j- just wanted to throw that out there in, in terms of the vignettes rather yeah. than uh, having a through line. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, this <laughs> it was hysterical because uh, when they did the curtain call, I was like, "Oh yeah." There's only five people. Yeah, it's wonderful mm. when that happens, I, when you really think and, the cast is larger than it you is. You thought it was so a cast of 15 or 20 yeah, or something indeed, like that. Indeed, and Indeed, yeah. I mean, just just incredible, incredible talent there and such a different thing. I think that the marketing failed, failed them and that it's a, it's a tough, uh, tough road to hole to Courage. get, to get butts and seats no matter what the show is no matter what the show is no matter what the show is so and so there is ain't no mo do we uh i was looking for a closing date and then i got distracted it and the 18th 18th so you have another week to see ain't no Mm -hmm. mo yeah but also not not to belabor this but uh, as a general statement i i think we have gotten to a point now where if you have a non-musical on broadway um the only smart way to do it is as a limited run in one of the institutional theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a, a non-musical play without a star, sorry, I forgot that on Broadway. Um, that is the only way because people, what's the last play without a star that had a 
successful commercial run on Broadway. I mean, well, it, <clears throat> think about it. it it's it, it, there. Go on. The last one to run over a thousand performances, I believe, was uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs, and um, that really um, had more of a creation of a star than a star. Um, but right. um, but really, um, as I've mentioned before, the top ten shows, um, the top ten plays, the longest running plays, that list hasn't changed in close to forty years. Right. So, I mean, uh, I, I don't you guys agree that that's the main reason why? I mean, we can say marketing, blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't isn't yeah. that the main reason why? It's just people. Mass audiences don't generally go to plays, and especially not with ticket prices so high and with so many other things to choose from. Uh, it's it's just a, a very sad and unfortunate fact of life. I wish it wasn't true. Well, but, the uh, thing is, the once upon a time, people went to plays because the the themes were so adult and the language was a language you couldn't get on TV. Right. But as Dan Marcus pointed out on Facebook. Um, yeah, HBO is celebrating its 50th anniversary. Mm, wow. <laughs> I'm almost questioning that and say, I wonder if he um, uh, didn't do the math correctly, because it doesn't seem to me that HBO has been around for 50 years. But nevertheless, it's been around for a long time, and it certainly changed the landscape of what people heard. So the type of themes um, that and language that theater used to be the sole distributor of uh, no longer is true and hasn't been true for a long time. And I do believe that's why a lot of people go to plays. Uh, so way way. Uh, in our chat room, Rob Johnson and Tony Janicki bring, bring up two different examples. Rob talks about cur- curious incidents of the dog in the nighttime. Mm-hmm. Uh, war horse. Uh, Tony Janicki brings a war horse. Uh, war horse was, produ- was Lincoln yeah, center. center. Yeah. And then we have Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but that, yeah. That's, well, all right, yeah, that's Harry it. Potter, but, you know. He, you know, the name is the star, yeah. Okay, but the real bottom line in Harry Potter is it's not nearly as successful as everybody thought it was. Oh, sure. Oh, right. yeah, absolutely. You know? It was a yeah. big, big, much bigger success in London than it was here. Yes, and um, uh, <laughs> you may sound like it's no longer running. It is. But notice that they had to do substantial work on it uh, to make it uh, viable. So, oh, yeah. yeah, when when it opened, I or let's say before it opened, I truly believed this was going to be the show that would outrun Life with Father, something I never thought I would see. Never. But now I'm not so sure of that. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. Uh, and so Jordan E. Cooper, who is uh, uh, the writer from Ain't No, Ain't no Mo. And the star. Uh, and the star. Um, uh, sent up, published an open letter that talked about uh, help us uh, go out and buy a ticket or sponsor, you know, even if you can't get to the theater, buy a ticket for somebody else to sponsor somebody to get to the theater, keep ain't, save ain't no mo. Um, and talked about uh, on the opening night of the Wiz in 1974 and that the Wiz was in similar trouble. And Peter, you you got the chance to see the Wiz out of town in the very first performance. Plus, uh, you, you saw it on Broadway as well. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. Uh, That first performance, the director, Gilbert Moses, came out and apologized. Uh, He actually came out and said, "Um, um, uh, uh, um, listen, um, it's it's been rough. Um, We didn't even have time to tech. People have been sick. um, But someday you're going to brag about being here. And I thought, yeah, sure. And indeed, um, here I am doing it again. It was in terrible shape that night. Um, Butterfly McQueen was in it, and she was 
just got awful. Oh, um, right. Even the dog was replaced as time went on. Um, <laughs> so really, you know, I mean, that's, that's really um, a statement as well. It, <clears throat> the audience was, um, well, let me put it this way. Um, I got to the theater just before showtime and um, bought two tickets and it was in row P on the aisle. Now, uh, I think the Mechanic Theater in Baltimore went up to at least X, uh, but there was nobody. So it was a half full orchestra. Nobody really cared very much. And and it really um, didn't work um, at all that night. And I was sure that it was going to close in Baltimore. They went to Detroit. But, you know, a lot of it had to do with the fact they were very lucky in, in um in the book that I just finished um, that's that's available now, I point out that The Wiz was extraordinarily lucky because, indeed, if uh, Chicago had opened that season as it was supposed to, but Bob Fosse had his heart attack, mm. if Chicago had opened, I don't think The Wiz would have been successful mm. because it, it would have been also ran. But the Tony really um, verified uh, its worth. And, indeed, indeed, uh, there was a marketing campaign that really um, was able to get people to go to the theater but of course the top price of a ticket then was fifteen dollars so that and you might say well fifteen dollars then was a commensurate to whatever now but it's not it's it's not remotely if you do an inflation calculator and i'll do right. it as we do you're going to find out it is not the top price of tickets today let alone <clears throat> premium pricing <clears throat> you could buy a first row seat for the whiz for fifteen dollars um, but try to get a first row seat now for um, anything less than hundreds. So, so really, um, th- and you know, the other thing too, uh, one of my readers once said, you can't go 48 hours without seeing a reference to the wizard of Oz. And um, <laughs> it's just such a beloved property. Um, so, I mean, wicked certainly has proved that as well. The reviews were wicked were not stellar. But um, I think people had a great interest in anything that involves the Wizard of Oz. And yes, of course, the teenage thing that we always hear about with Wicked helped too. But anyway, the the Wiz um, was just a good idea. It, it really was. And it was just wasn't ready. And that Gilbert Moses, who made that statement, of course, was replaced very, very quickly in Baltimore, very quickly by uh, Jeffrey Holder, who did uh, pull it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, of uh, course, we're getting the Wiz again, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, it really um, has taken on the the patina of a classic, mm. you know, and um, so, uh, and I'm sure it'll do well. <laughs> All right, so ain't no mo. You have another week to get uh, over to see it. I think that it would really work as uh, a Netflix special. Mm. Uh, yeah, as William Goldman said in the season, "Free, it's a treat." Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Michael and Peter both, uh, is it at Signature Downstate? I think it's, uh, where's Signature? Where is that Downstate play? Playwrights Playwrights Horizons. So I got over to Playwrights Horizons to see Downstate. So uh, Michael, why don't you start us on this? Well, as we were saying before, I think one of our colleagues has already discussed it on the podcast. It was either uh, Jenna or Jan. Um, So I won't go into great detail, but this is a new play by Bruce Norris. Uh, about a group of um, men living in a uh, group home. I guess you would call it a halfway house. And it turns out that they are all uh, sex offenders. And they have, uh, you know, a, 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 uh, a woman who comes regularly to, uh, to, help them and discuss their situation and make sure that they're all following the rules and, and, uh, 
and it's uh, it's a very interesting subject to begin with because, as you might imagine, um, with they're not going to the playwright is not going to portray these people as out and out monsters because if he did, the play would not be interesting. Um, so the specific thing that happens here is that one of their victims. Um, now an adult, obviously, uh, comes to confront uh, the the fellow who abused him years earlier uh, during piano lessons. As it turned out, that's that's when the abuse occurred, um, and so it's about the tremendously complicated uh, feelings that that are engendered in a victim when they have to go through something like that. And it's, uh, and I I thought that was one of the best things about this play about how it showed how um, the, the complexity of the feelings of that character, Andy as played by Tim Hopper uh, and how he, uh, uh, for example, um, one thing that happens at the, the very beginning of the play, Andy and his wife, are there to confront uh, Andy's abuser. And you can tell that he's trying to, Andy's trying to do it by the book and almost in a, in a very methodical way to make sure he says everything he wants to say, but it's impossible for him to say everything he wants to say. Uh, he he seems to kind of think he can get closure, um, you know, maybe in, in one conversation, but of course that, that can't happen. And then it turns out that, um, that Andy forgets his cell phone there and he comes back to get it. And then, uh, then there's another confrontation and then he almost forgets his cell phone again. So it's the idea that he's, he, he cannot escape what happened to him. Um, so I think that w- that was all very good. I, I thought much of the play was very wonderfully written by Bruce Norris and directed by Pam McKinnon. I, uh, to me, a lot of it, uh, um, unfortunately was not well written because i think uh for me bruce norris uh often indulges in a lot of sledgehammer kind of writing uh so i thought this play went back and forth between those two things and there was something that had that happened at the end which i can't reveal um that to me was telegraphed like about an hour and a half earlier uh i i think he sometimes um fails in in various aspects of writing like that uh so and i although i will say that i did like this play overall far better than Clybourne park which uh you received almost universal praise when it opened um on broadway and uh and i guess before that even uh so so for what it's worth this one for me is is superior to that. Um, so who knows if you if you really liked Clybourne Park, I wonder um, if you will like this one better or not as much. But I'm glad I saw it and I I appreciated the the things I liked about it while regretting the things that I did not like. Okay, Peter, what'd you think? Well, first off, I want to say that what Michael just said about uh, liking this more than Clybourne Park uh, reminded me of an ad Follies took way back when, uh, because Clive Burns in his review in the New York Times said, I liked it more than company. And uh, then they had uh, all the awards listed the company had won, you know, you know, so uh, and Clybourne Park certainly was um, uh, hailed far and wide so uh um I, yes i liked it more than michael um one thing that there's a, a little bit of a cheat in it 
Um, and that is the fact that we do wind up feeling bad for everybody. However, we might mm. not feel bad for everybody if we saw scenes. I'm not saying we could saw scenes where indeed these uh, men did uh, prey on little children. Um, that, sure. that 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 we we started a point where that is long ago, and it's very easy to forgive um, or at least be indulgent in a, in a way. Again. When, it, we would just think of them as monsters if we saw them come on to these little children. Um, that would be terrible. And um, that may be a movie uh, when uh, Downstate becomes um, a film. That could that could happen in there. And it would be very, very repugnant. But nevertheless, um, Bruce Norris doesn't show us that. And we wind up feeling bad, especially, I'll tell you, a marvelous, marvelous performance by an actor named Francis Guinan who is that music teacher that Michael mentioned. And it almost seems like he's clueless. He doesn't seem particularly ashamed. He just seems at sea. And really what you come away thinking that these are not bad people per se, but they're people to whom something bad has happened. That if it weren't for this one flaw, which is a tremendous flaw, don't misunderstand me, I'm not condoning it, but Aside from this flaw, which I'm not overlooking, and neither is Bruce Norris, they seem to be nice people. And um, I, I do believe that that's entirely possible, that there's just, um, to use that famous expression, a screw loose. And uh, that's what got them to the situation. There's a scene that a lot of people have been talking about where another member of the, the uh, house is uh, being questioned by his parole officer. And it seems he's violated his parole. Hmm. And she's very, very deliberate the way that she um, asks questions. And um, at one point, somebody said to me, oh, oh, she claims to have information that she really doesn't have. She's bluffing because she would have mentioned that right away. No, I think what happens with these people, parole officers, is they don't want to um, show their cards too quickly. And I think they want the people to admit to what they've been doing. And when they don't admit, finally, they say, well, we have information that you did do that. I don't think she's bluffing at all. Um, That has tremendous consequences as well. So, uh, but the idea of feeling bad for these people is something that isn't easy to do. And that to me is the the great thing about uh, this, this play. And again, having Francis Guinan do so well in being clueless in a strange way, but, wanting to do the right thing, but there's something keeping him from really um, pouring out and saying, I'm so sorry. Oh, it was terrible of me. Um, he, he isn't at that point. And yet you still wind up feeling bad for him, especially because he is a victim of something else entirely that had nothing to do. But no, that's not true. Um, he's, he's, a, he's been victimized by somebody he did not molest right and um that's a very interesting thing too another way of showing that um you don't just get castigated by the person you molested you get castigated by society right and it makes perfect sense that that would be the case uh so um very very difficult situation here but uh and is always the case with these difficult situations there's plenty of humor in it too we do wind up laughing here and there so uh very very effective 
So I have two tangential points uh, to bring up about uh, one about downstate and one about something Peter said a minute ago. Um, have you guys heard that uh, Peter Marks got attacked for his uh, criticism of downstate? Yeah, yeah, by Ted so, Cruz, right? By Ted Senator Ted Cruz, uh, and uh, it it's just. <laughs> I mean, yeah. no matter where you yeah. go, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I I am not aware of this. Could you give it to me in a nutshell? What <laughs> what did in, Ted in Cruz? A, <laughs> in a nutshell, Peter Marks reviewed the show and said the show. Uh, I, I believe this is a correct encompassing of it. That the show was good about a very difficult topic, and Ted Cruz, not understanding anything about human anything. beings <laughs> about anything except for how to get to Cancun yeah. and, and mm-hmm. not represent his people. Um, Ted Cruz uh, and a bunch of other conservative uh, conservative people on Twitter went after Peter Marks uh, and it became a thing for because they thought, because they thought he was, uh, he was promoting. Child yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, be, because he was, gave a good review to That's right. uh, a play down about- state. Mm. Yeah, uh, the, uh, it, you can't apply logic to people like Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it, it's just uh, certainly uh, uh, you know Peter Marks is our is our friend, and mm-hmm. but more importantly, he's the chief theater critic for the Washington Post and has mm-hmm. been uh, reviewing for theater for thirty, forty years or so, <laughs> something, uh, like that, sure. something like that, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Ted Cruz to open his mouth with regard to this was amazing, but it, you know, it, it, it brings fear because, you know, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of crazy people that are in Ted yes. Cruz's camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just mm-hmm. uh, a shame. Uh, you talked to Peter, you talked about the, uh, I liked it more than Clyburn park, which reminded yeah. me of something that uh, I wanted I, to bring. I said, I, I, I oh, you said Michael, Michael yeah. said that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I've been meaning to bring it up for the last couple of weeks. The, the, um, the advertisements for 1776, the roundabout production mm-hmm. of 1776, uh, they advertise it as being the Tony Award winning musical. Sure. Sure. And um, I, I think that's problematic because <laughs> it's not that particular production. Right, right. And of course, you know, if somebody wins for uh, best lighting, you hear that it's the Tony winning production. So yeah, uh, there's so, definitions, but yeah, there's no but, question. There's a bit of deception going on there. They want people to believe that this indeed is the show that won the Tony. Not yeah. the not the first time, I believe. But no, oh, no, no, it, no. It happens indeed. all, and not just for seventeen. But I was. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it happens all the time with revivals, yeah. and sure, uh, sure. they are living in the shadow of their <laughs> forefathers, sure. if you will. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that that was. Uh, I, I was wondering uh, what you guys thought about that, but certainly it has happened a number of times before. I have heard that it's not that it's kind of empty there now. And, and I, yeah. I, I really do think that if it wasn't um, part of like a roundabout series that it would already be. Oh shuttered. yeah. Yeah. yeah if, it, if it were a commercial production, it would be right. Sure. And, and not a subscription audience. And so this, uh, I mean, we, we've talked a number of times, you know, um, a pop off Broadway was a very hard ticket to get 
Ain't mm-hmm. No Mall uh, off-Broadway at the Public was very, very highly regarded. Uh, you know, Fat Ham off-Broadway is very, very highly yeah, regarded. Geez, and geez. we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 1776, when it was up in Cambridge at ART and the American Repertory Theater up in Cambridge, it was... Uh, it was all the talk here in New York about we can't wait for it to get to New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. So, Peter, you get over to New World Stages to see a Sherlock Carroll. So, tell us about this. It's a great idea. Um, the playwright noticed that, uh, indeed, um, Sherlock Holmes lived around the same time as Ebenezer Scrooge lived. Um, so, why not put them together? However, Ebenezer seems to have been murdered. And Sherlock Holmes has to find out who did the murder. Uh, it's There's a lot of fun involved. There's a lot of nice special effects. It's always good to see Isabel Keating uh, in a show, and she's terrific in a number of roles. However, however, if you know Christmas Carol, you may very well, like me, you may not, of course, it's going to be one or the other, um, be disappointed as to who turned out to be the murderer. Uh, it's not somebody I wanted to um, have the murder. Uh, and for that matter, um, I have to admit that they were very, very clever in casting the role in such a way that is purposely unrealistic. So that if it really were um, somebody who was cast in a conventional way, in a way that you would expect, I know I'm being um, very, very vague here, but purposely so. Um, if it were cast in a conventional way, you would feel even worse that this person was the murderer. But um, but there is a, a very clever idea behind that. Still, I feel bad that somebody we've known and loved from uh, in A Christmas Carol all these years turned out to do the dirty deed. So um, very nicely produced, very opulent in, in many respects, nice special effects. Um, again, the idea of merging these two characters, I think is great fun. Um, as our friend Kevin McInerney said, it would have been great fun if, um, we had had Mame and Lorelai Lee together, um, in a, in a musical, uh, <laughs> Angela Lansbury and Carol Channing. And he, and whenever he used to say that, he used to make an X because of that famous billing with Ethel Merman and Jimmy Durante. Oh um, yeah. Back when <laughs> Angela Lansbury, Carol Channing. Uh, anyway, so it's nice to see these two fictional characters, uh, be merged together, but I wish that it wound up a little differently because I feel bad for the murderer. Uh, so this, I think, is the second time out for was, a Sherlock yeah, Howell? Yeah, it was, it was here last year. Maybe it'll it be here. an annual event. Yeah. So maybe uh, they can change it up every year to get return visitors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Clue, the musical. Yeah, indeed. Which has really turned out to be very successful. Yeah. All right. So to wrap it up for this morning, uh, Michael, you got over to 54 Below to see Scott Siegel's latest incarnation of 54 Sings, Broadway's greatest hits. So tell us about it. Oh, yeah. It was a really great edition of that series, which um, this was the 95, the 95th concert uh, in wow. that series, in that particular series. Wow. And, you know, and Scott has like two or three others. So he's just amazing. Um, really great cast. Um, Rose Chambly and Ava Nicole Francis. Uh, Danny Gardner, who uh, uh, people uh, may know from Dames at Sea and, and other things. Uh, um, and let me point out, uh, he went on uh, for Tony Yazbek in um, Flying Over Sunset, and he was phenomenal. Especially oh, dance numbers. 
Yeah, yeah. They um, they mentioned that as one of his credits. Uh, oh, yeah. He was, I saw him do it. He was great. Anyway, go on. Well, he uh, I'm happy to say that he put his dancing uh, on display in this show. Uh, you don't usually see much dancing at 54 below. No. But no. Uh, you did this time because Danny uh, did All I Need is the Girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that was really great. Um, this uh, w- beautiful woman named Kylie Hyman or Heyman, H-E-Y-M-A-N. Uh, she opened the show with Back to Before from ah, wow. from Ragtime. And I will give the ultimate compliment in saying that sh- she really r- reminded me a lot of Marin mm-hmm. Macy. Mm-hmm. Um, they both share that, uh, that wonderful mix um, where the soprano register has a lot of richness to it. Uh, and the, the belt register is strong but there's not a huge break or actually any break any apparent break between the belt register and the soprano uh, which is really great for that number because of the way it's written and the key that it's written in which was perfect for marin and also turns out to be perfect for this moment kylie Heyman or hyman um uh, and then she did uh, uh i will say uh that Scott has been uh, usually they will um, limit themselves to songs that have been on Broadway, even if they didn't start out there. Uh, You know, all of the movies that have been adapted, uh, movie musicals that have been adapted, adapted for Broadway, Mm -hmm. uh, for example. But uh, but this show did include one song that had nothing to do with Broadway. And it's You're Gonna Hear From Me, which is from the film Inside Daisy Clover, Mm -hmm. a 1965 film that star natalie wood and christopher Plummer and uh robert redford um but i even though it really you know should not have been there <laughs> according to the title of the show i loved hearing it because i love the song and it it was written by andre and dory previn and i've always thought um that it sounds like it could be a Broadway power ballad. Um, It's actually written to be a a song as a song that is performed in a, in a film musical. Uh, But it, uh, it's got a lot of Broadway about it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, uh, Andre Previn's only Broadway score was Coco, but this maybe shows us what he might've done uh, if he had written more for Broadway and, and more in a, a a more, um, you know, brassy, jazzy uh, pop style than the, the than the Coco score, which is a little, a little more you know more pastiche. Um, so uh, anyway, that that those two numbers were really uh, highlights of of this show. Uh, Michael Winter, our friend Michael Winter, uh, who's in, been in many of Scott's shows, mm-hmm. um, did "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas," which again I guess qualifies because it. It started in the movie of uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, but then that was adapted for the Broadway stage and 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 the non-Broadway stage. Um, and uh, Michael um, sang uh, he sang the more positive version of the lyrics, but he quoted the original, very very dark lyrics that uh, that were written by you, Martin, which Julie Garland Garland basically. I won't say rejected, but she's like, do you really want me to sing? <laughs> because the original lyrics were, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, from now on, we're, we may be living in the past. Something like It was really, really, really bad. Um, so that was 
uh, softened somewhat for the original film and then softened even further uh, for the pop version of the song so that it's uh, from now on, our troubles will be out of sight rather than next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Mm. Um, so that, that it's interesting to, to, to follow the genesis of the lyrics of that song. But anyway, it was, it was also obviously nice, a nice choice for the holiday season and Michael sang it beautifully. Uh, and then Ben Jones, um, who was in my Bernstein show recently, uh, he's really, um, I have to say, he really seems to be blowing up, and I do not mean he's getting fat. Uh, he, he seems to be getting a lot of attention uh, because he really is. He has gotten one of the most amazing voices ever, and he's also very charming on stage and very good-looking, and he's got a very nice, um, very uh, personable stage manner. Uh, and so he showed his versatility in this case. Uh, they gave him three numbers, which is probably a reflection of how uh, as I said, he's kind of blowing up. Um, and the first one was, I've grown accustomed to her face, which is not normally the, the kind of thing you, you would expect him to do. Uh, but it's great to hear someone with a really great voice sing that because he basically sang, he, he spoke the parts of it that, you know, that you would expect the, the whole two first two thirds of it, or rather three fourths of it. And then, and then sang more in the in the final verse so that was beautiful and then his other two his other two um choices were hopelessly devoted to you which again uh did end up in in one at least one version one body version of greece um and the, his final number which was the final number of the show was being alive and i said to him afterwards i said boy i hadn't thought of it before but that would be an amazing role for you and he said oh it's my it's my dream it's uh -huh. my dream role one uh -huh. of my dream roles so it was a great great evening with uh, the fabulous ron abel uh at the piano and the musical director um really glad i went all right so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our trivia musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including those articles uh, from um, the Los Angeles Times on K-pop and Ain't No More on Broadway and Metropolitan Opera's ha hacking and the Fat okay. Ham announcement. So all of that's in the show notes. So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia? He was one of those jazz musicians who used a nickname as his first name. He recorded an album of a world-famous Broadway musical that included a song that wasn't totally cut, no, but had been cut to only a few bars by the time the show reached Broadway. What's surprising is that when Capitol Records decided to release a 45 record of two songs from this album, they included this virtually dropped song. On the other side of the single record was indeed a song that's still in the show, and here's a hint, it was the second song in the show. So, who's the jazz musician? What's the musical? What's the cut song? What's the one that wasn't cut? Well, Cannonball Adderley recorded an album of Fiddler on the Roof that included Kavala, the song that Tebby was to sing in full after his daughter had married a Gentile. It's been cut to the point where it's barely in the show, but Capitol still decided to release a single with it on one side and Matchmaker, the show's second song, on the other. 
Juliet Green was the first to get it, followed by Jack Leshner, Paul Witte, Brigadude, Tony Janicki, slipping to fifth place, and J. Aubrey Jones, who, by the way, is on stage now at Irish Rep doing A Child's Christmas in Wales and doing it proud. He holds a note that um, really rivals Ethel Merman's um, famous I Got Rhythm moment. And uh, so is everybody else in the show. It's a jukebox musical, but the type of music you wish you could hear in jukeboxes more often. So so if you want to see who J. Aubrey Jones is, now is the time. All right. This week's question. One line in a song from Peter Pan is the same as the title of a 21st century musical. It's also the name of a short-running 1960s comedy written by two writers who were originally signed to write the book of a musical, but were replaced by somebody far more famous and accomplished. What's the song in Peter Pan? What's the line that serves as the name of the 21st century musical and the 20th century comedy? And who were the writers of that comedy? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia. At broadwayradio.com, we'll let you know if you're on the right track. Can I jump in here? I, I have a like a 50-year-old memory. Do you remember when the Smothers Brothers had a TV show? Sure. Yeah. And I remember they had Cannonball Adderley on once. And, and um, did he do a song? <laughs> <laughs> that I don't remember. But I remember, uh, you know, how Tommy, I guess Tommy was the one who uh, sure. usually got the, the, the funny lines and right, pretended yeah. to be like stupid, right? Right, yeah. So he said something like, Cannonball Adderley, what a silly name, Adderley. <laughs> that is good i see his point it's very good all right michael what do we have in the musical moment the smothers brothers perhaps no no uh marilyn may uh i guess i we could we could theoretically use marilyn as our music every week because she's always coming back and i'm happy to say she's going to be coming back to dizzy's um very soon i'm going to see her next sunday uh dizzy's that's in what used to be the Time Warner Center is now apparently called the Deutsche Bank Center. Is that um, right? Yeah, we I, mm-hmm. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago and you all gasped. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and understandably. Anyway, um, and then she's uh, Marilyn's going to be at Birdland uh, for a run around New Year's Eve, including New Year's Eve. Um, so uh, our opener, uh, well, our opener and our closer are both Marilyn. The opener is I Love You Today. Mm-hmm. which is a song by Steve mm-hmm. Allen, music and lyrics from the show Sophie, mm-hmm. which ran from April 15th through the 20th in 1963. Uh, so obviously not a hit, but lovely, lovely song, especially a song by Marilyn. And then our closer is Marilyn's recording of that aforementioned song that I really, really adore. You're going to hear from me uh, from Inside mm-hmm. Daisy Clover um, by Andre and Dory Previn. Mm-hmm. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Coming up close. 